Father, we pause this morning and we still our hearts and minds before you, the Holy One, before the one to whom all glory is due, the one who spoke ex nihilo, out of nothing, all that we see, all of creation, all at the sovereign beckoning of your word. Or just as we saw this morning in our scripture reading, you, you created man from the dirt of the ground and you breathed into him life, your life-giving spirit. God, you created woman out of the side, out of the rib of that man. You joined the two together in the first marriage we see in scripture. And it was just shortly thereafter that we see sin come careening, crashing into the world. That perfect relationship that Adam and Eve momentarily knew with you had been clear-cut to the ground, shattered beyond from a human perspective recognition. But you, God, had a redemptive plan from before the foundation, from before the creation of the world. It was your plan, A, that you would send your son Jesus Christ, the second member of the triune Godhead, into our world, that he would robe himself with our flesh, that he would take on our humanity, that he would live a perfectly righteous life, that he would meet all of the exacting standards of the law which Adam failed to do, that Jesus would be the second Adam. And then in all of his perfection, in all of his righteousness, he would walk the innocent party to the cross. And he would die there. The spotless lamb of God would die there to procure salvation for guilty, wicked, vile, wretched sinners like me. And so we praise you, God. We honor you, God. We extol you, God. We magnify you, God. We ascribe to you, even though it is with feeble human language, the glory that is due your great name. It was you, God, that said, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. God, I pray that that would be the theme and the anthem of our life. That everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think, all the motivations, all the intentions of our hearts would be aimed at pleasing you, just like Paul said. So whether we're at home in the body or away, we make it our aim to please him. Make that so, Lord, we want our lives to be a pleasing aroma to you. And so in these few moments that we have, as we gather together corporately as the redeemed body of Christ, a, a, a mixed company for sure, sitting in this room this morning, God, you know, because you know the hearts of all men with exacting precision. You know that there are believers in here. There are the just, there are the redeemed, there are the reconciled, there are the adopted, there are the forgiven, and there are those who stand in the first Adam in here this morning. And God, I pray that you would take your word, as powerful as it is, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, and that you would apply it to the heart of every individual here. God, I pray that you would bring about a work of salvation for the first time in those who don't know you, and that, Lord, you would bring us to the glory, that you would restore to us the joy and the glory of our salvation for those of us who know you savingly this morning. God, may the gift, the glorious gift of justification, 
whet our appetites for the glory that is to come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 28. That's our text this morning. The glorious gift of justification is our aim this morning. To unpack that is our aim. Let me encourage you to stand if you have the ability as we read God's word together. This is Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 28, and these are the words that he pens. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our great God stands forever. You may be seated. You need to know this morning that we are going to attempt to tackle a doctrine which oceans of ink have been spilled writing over. You need to know that we are going to try in 38 minutes to discuss what theologians have battled over. Pastors, teachers, theologians have battled over in the church's history. But I hope this morning that you will leave here with a fresh sense of awe at the God who justifies that you will see your justification as a precious, God-given gift that is not to be neglected, that is not to be taken for granted. We love to receive gifts. and This is a time of the year, this is a season when we exchange gifts. And to do so is right, to do so is enjoyable. But we must not forget in our gift giving, in our exchanging of gifts, that we have a God who has given us gifts that are immeasurable in comparison. I think sometimes we get a little bit more excited about the tree and the tinsel and the paper and the presents and the being with people and the eating and the enjoying and the being merry than we do over the central figure of this Christmas season, which is... Jesus Christ, God became a man and took on flesh and lived among us. Why did he do that? Well, he did that so that God might be able to justify us in his sight. If you have your outline this morning, and I would encourage you to take it out if you don't already have it out, 
you'll see there that I have asked a number of questions. would encourage you to take notes this morning as we uh, work our way through our study. I think you'll listen better if you do. I think you'll have some takeaway, some better takeaway if you jot a few things down. But you'll see there that I've listed for you a handful of questions. Number one, what is justification? I'm going to take just a few minutes, and you just need to know this is going to be the scratch-and-sniff version. This is going to be the tip of the iceberg. There's so much that I'm not going to say this morning about the doctrine of justification, but I'm going to try concisely to define it for you. What is justification? Secondly, we're going to talk about how God justifies an individual. How does God do this? Now that we know what it is to be justified before God, how does God do this? How does he wrought this work in the life of a person? Third, we'll ask the question, why? Why why in the world would God justify a wicked, vile sinner like me and like you? Fourth, we'll talk about what some of the fruits are, what some of the results are of this glorious gift of justification. And then we'll close this morning talking about how we should respond to such a glorious truth. As a matter of fact, we're going to respond to this glorious truth this morning by a representation of the gospel in communion. So how fitting that is this morning as we talk about responding to this glorious gift of justification. Point number one this morning, we direct your attention there, is what is justification? Look back at verses 21 through 23 there. Paul writes, justification, or sorry, righteousness rather, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're asking the question, what is justification after having looked at those few verses? Well, here's what justification is. Justification is the answer to the question that Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 23, raises. Justification is the answer to those first three verses in Romans there that we look at. If all and that is without exception, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, then there is not a more ultimate question than how can a sinful man or a sinful woman be made right with a holy God? How how can a man who is wrong, how can a woman who is wrong be made right with a holy, righteous God? That is the ultimate question in life. There is not a question that can be answered that is more important than that question. That question is pinnacle. That question is paramount. That question is ultimate. How can sinners be made right with God? As sinners, we're in the wrong. We've we've broken God's law. We've transgressed His law. We've violated His law. We have trampled His law under feet. We have taken His holiness for granted. We have mocked Him. We have spurned him to his face. Like Isaiah wrote, we are the sheep that has gone astray. We have each turned to our own way, our own master. You know who that is, by the way? It's you, and it's me. We live in that world today. We live in the world that's dominated by me and my. I am my own king. I am my own judge. I am my own court, my own jury. I am the one who makes appeals for my own life and who renders the verdict innocent. I can do whatever I want. I can be whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. I can go wherever I want. I can think whatever I want. I am my own king. And I've justified myself. That's the world that we live in. That's the culture that we live in today. 
That's not the justification that Paul talks about here in Romans chapter 3. God is holy, friends. We need never forget that. The holiness of God, I pray, would dominate our hearts and minds, that our thoughts would be captivated by it and yet humbled at the same time. God is holy. And the holiness of God disallows him to respond indifferently or with complacency toward our sin. You see, the perfection of his nature, all the perfection of his nature requires him to recoil in righteous indignation. But God doesn't only recoil with holy anger. God's holiness, his righteousness demands that he strikes in wrath. Your Bible teaches that, friends. Your Bible teaches that plain and clear from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. God not only recoils with righteous indignation, but he strikes with righteous indignation towards sin. Every single one of us, without exception, is, sinner, is sinful. We're all sinners. We're sinners by nature. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We're born that way. Uh, David tells us that we all came forth from our mother's womb in sin. We're all culpable, and so we're all brought under the just condemnation of our sin, for our sin. And so justification then, what justification is in a biblical sense, the biblical doctrine of justification, is God's legal verdict handed down to a sinner that declares that individual to be righteous even though they're not. So justification is, in its, in its brevity, justification is a declaration made by God, pronounced by God, whereby he makes a guilty sinner righteous before him, even though they are not. Justification is a legal term, it's a forensic term, it's a courtroom term. It's the declared purpose of God to regard and to treat those sinners who believe in Jesus Christ as if they had not sinned on the basis of the merits of Jesus Christ. Justification stands over and against the flabby sentimentalism that has brought down uh, our view of God. We, we again live in a world and in a culture that has tried to level God with humanity we have a very low view of God. We live in a culture that is steeped in a high view of man and a low view of God. In the culture in which we live, uh, people, individuals, see very little need for a doctrine like justification because the cultural God we've created, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, the cultural God we've created doesn't really disapprove of our sin problem very much. Nothing could be farther from the truth. God hates sin. God has always hated sin. As a matter of fact, the prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk 1.13 tells us that God's eyes are too pure to even look on evil. Does that mean he doesn't see it? No, he's omniscient. He sees every thought and intention and motivation and action of our heart all the time with, with unerring precision. It just means that he is separated from our sin. He is holy, and we intrinsically are not. 
We need a high view of the majesty of God. We need a high view of the righteousness of God. We need a high view of the exceeding sinfulness of sin because that is what it is that will lead a man or a woman away from their sin and flying to the justification that is found in Jesus Christ alone. Has God declared you innocent on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ? Friends, there is no other basis. God will declare a man, God will declare a woman righteous only on the basis of the righteous merit of Jesus Christ interposed in your place. Is Jesus this very moment, this very second, your next breath and your next heartbeat interposed for you? Has he paid your sin penalty? Has he met all the demands of the law on your behalf? Has all of his righteousness been credited to your otherwise and my otherwise bankrupt account? Is he your justifier and has he justified you in Christ? Has he declared you innocent even though in your sin you are not? Let me make an important uh, distinction here before we move on to point number two. Uh, And that is that there is a, a difference or there is a distinction between mere forgiveness and justification. There's a difference between forgiveness and justification. Justification includes forgiveness, but it goes far beyond forgiveness. You see, not only are we forgiven in Christ, that's kind of the the negative, not negative as in bad news, that's, that's that's the negative side of the equation, is that we're forgiven of our sin. But positively, justification goes beyond that and credits Christ's righteousness to our account. That's the difference there between just mere forgiveness and justification. Yes, we're forgiven of all of our sin. Our sin has been blotted out as far as the east is from the west, but on a positive note, not only have we been brought up to to zero, but Jesus has imputed all of his righteousness to our account. We have all of his righteousness if we're found in him. All of his righteousness. Paul ended his epistle right here in verse 23, we'd all be hopeless. There'd be no hope for any one of us, for all have sinned. There is no distinction. For all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. If the, if the gospel ends right there, if the story ends right there, if the work of the Redeemer ends right there, we're hopeless. But thanks be to God, that's not where the story ends. Thanks be to God that Paul goes on, that he writes on, And he tells us that God justifies wicked, guilty, vile sinners just like me and just like you. How does he do it? How does he do it? Well, let me direct your attention to point number two on our outline there. Look at verses 24 and 25. Paul says, And all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, To be received by faith. I want to pause right there and then jump down and look at verse 28 for just a second. Verse 28, Paul writes, For we hold that no one is justified by works, that all are justified by faith apart from works of the law. And so how does God justify a person? Let me give you a few sub-points you'll want to write down in here. How does God justify a person? Well, first... Right out of the text there, verse 24, God justifies a person by his grace as a gift. 
That's how God does it. God justifies a person. God declares a person innocent on the basis of Christ as an act of his grace, which is a gift. Paul says all are justified by his grace as a gift. Now, it's interesting here. We we need to make note that all doesn't mean all without exception. Paul's not saying that all are justified as in all the whole world, seven point something billion people are justified. It's not what Paul's saying there. All doesn't mean that everyone is justified. Rather, it means that everyone who is justified is justified in the exact same way. And that is by grace. By grace. I was thinking this week in my study that there are so many ways that we try and justify ourselves. We'll walk out this door this, this afternoon and we'll fall into many of these snares. We try to justify ourselves by living moral. In doing so, we, 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 we try to self-justify. We try and justify ourselves by our careers. We try and justify ourselves by our scholastic performance. Maybe some degrees that follow our name. Maybe the, the job title. Where we fall on the salary scale. We try and justify ourselves by our physical appearance. We try and justify ourselves by our expertise or our technical aptitude, our our abilities and our skills. We try and justify ourselves by the way that we keep our home. Mamas, don't don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into that trap of thinking that your righteousness is somehow procured by how well you keep your home. Do we want to keep a home well? Yes, and daddies want to do that too. That's not where your righteousness comes from. Don't, don't attach your significance to that. Don't, don't attach your position in Christ to that. It'll leave you nowhere but disheartened, discouraged, downcast, downtrodden. We try and justify ourselves by our externally perfect marriages. Just look at Facebook. I mean, everybody looks really pretty in the digital world. But the reality is behind the mouse are marriages that aren't perfect. Neither is mine. All of these are attempts to self-justify, and they're all attempts that will never work. None of these attempts to self-justify can can ever erase our guilt. None of these attempts to self-justify can lessen our shame brought about by sin in any way. And none of these attempts to self-justify can ever impute righteousness to our otherwise bankrupt accounts. But thanks be to God that he does all three as a gift of his grace. He takes care of our guilt problem in Christ. He takes care of our shame problem in Christ. And he imputes his righteousness to our accounts in Christ. I love the way the NIV translates verse 24 here. It says, all are justified freely by his grace. Probably more of your translations say something like, like, uh, he justifies us as a gift of his grace. Uh, just as a, as a difference in the wor- way that we translate gift there and freely, uh, but it's the same exact word, the same exact meaning. But that word freely there, it, it, it means gratuitously, without charge. God justifies wicked, vile, guilty sinners without charge to them. But, oh, friends, don't ever think that it came without cost. Don't ever think that it came without cost. 
The first thing that you need to note there, if you haven't already, is that a person is justified by the grace of God as a gift. Secondly, how does God justify a person? Well, God justifies a person on the basis of the death of Jesus Christ. We're justified as a gift of grace. But we're justified on the basis of the death of Jesus Christ. Look at the back half of verse 24 and the first part of verse 25. Paul says, Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. By his blood. Now, this word here, the word translated redemption, it comes from the marketplace. Just like in Jesus' day, there was a marketplace that individuals, families would go to. They would visit. They would purchase things from the marketplace. Just like we go to the marketplace today. It looks a lot differently. We go to the marketplace. We, we purchase things. We exchange money for goods there in the marketplace. But in ancient times, an individual, thanks be to God, we don't do this today. But in ancient times, individuals were also bought and sold. And so a person could go to the market and purchase an individual to be their slave. Oftentimes slaves would be there uh, naked or clothed with very little and available for the purchase of a potential individual. And so the buyer would stand there and, and, and look at these potential slaves. They would size them up there to see if they met the mark, if they were worthy of being taken. And if so, they would pay the price. They would redeem that individual and purchase them for their own. Well, here is the reality. God sees in us nothing but our nakedness. God sees us exposed. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us that. Hebrews uh, chapter 4 tells us that, that we all stand naked and exposed before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God sees us, and he sees us completely as we are. You can't put lipstick on a pig. God sees us as we are, and yet in Christ he purchases purchases us. He redeems us back from the slave block. He buys us away. Jesus pays the price for our redemption. It's interesting. Look at this word here. The text goes on to say that Jesus is our propitiation. That's not a word that you probably woke up this morning thinking that you were going to use in a sentence. It's not a word that we use in our everyday vernacular, in our everyday vocabulary. But it's a beautiful glorious, weighty Bible word. And you need to know what it means here. To propitiate is to do something that relieves the wrath of someone else. The Greek word is actually used in the Old Testament with reference to the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And if you can remember there, back to the Old Testament, the mercy seat is where the blood was sprinkled on the Day of Atonement to appease the wrath of God, to to temporarily satisfy the wrath of God, and in a sense to justify the people. Well, in the New Covenant, Jesus is the Lamb who takes God's wrath, who drinks it down to its dregs, and therefore he is able to justify us once and for all before a holy God. Jesus is our propitiation. Friends, that is a glorious truth. 
a glorious, glorious truth that he stands in our stead. He stands in our place and he drank the wrath of God for me. What a glorious truth. A person is justified on the basis of the death of Jesus Christ. Third here, a person is justified through faith. Look at verse 25, the back half of it. Paul says that this justification is to be received by faith. Received by faith. How do you receive it? It's a gift of God by his grace. It's procured by the death of Christ, by the shedding of his blood, and it is received by grace. Now, it's important that we understand that we are justified by or through our faith and not because of our faith. And you say, was that splitting hairs there? Is that mere semantics? And I would submit to you that it's not. Your Bible says that justification is to be received by faith. We're not justified because of our faith. We're justified by it or through it. In other words, your faith is not your righteousness. Your faith is not your righteousness. If you know Christ, Christ is your righteousness. Faith is simply the instrument by which the righteousness of God in Christ becomes yours. It's the conduit, so to speak, with which the righteousness of God flows forth to you. You might think of it in terms of faith being the hand that receives grace. Faith being the hand that receives grace. Let me, let me give you another mental picture here uh, that might clarify my point. Any of you ever been snorkeling? Have you ever been snorkeling? A few of you. A few of you. Those of you that have been snorkeling or those of you that have seen a snorkel, which is probably most of us, know that a snorkel is only an instrument. The snorkel itself, you, you got your, your, your face mask on there and you have your snorkel that extends beyond uh, the, the, the water line there. And the snorkel is just an instrument. You don't breathe the snorkel. You breathe through the snorkel. You breathe air through it. Another way to, uh, to illustrate this might be the coupling or the linkage that connects uh, two train cars together. We, we, we live in a, in a community right downtown where a train goes right through oftentimes. You've been downtown to Pavilion or been shopping downtown there uh, by, the, by the gate. You, you've seen the train. And you see those trains are connected by couplings that, that hold or connect the cars together. You see the coupling has no power on its own. The engine provides the power. The coupling just connects the train car to the power of the engine. Make sense? Don't trust in your faith. Trust in Christ. If your faith is in your faith, your faith is misplaced. Your faith needs to rest wholly, entirely, completely, without reservation, unmixed in Christ and in Christ alone. A person is justified through faith. And then lastly here, a person is justified apart from any of their own effort or striving. Four ways there that God, God works justification. It's a gift, it's through the blood of Christ, it is by or through faith, and it is apart from your and my own effort or striving. Look at verse 28, drop down there in your Bible, let your eyes find it. Paul says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. The 17th century Puritan, and I would encourage you to read the Puritans, read them often, I love them, I just ordered, by the way, uh, it's not a paid endorsement, Banner of Truth, which is one of my favorite publishers, runs a Christmas sale every year where they cut almost 50% off the cost of their books. Banner of Truth, I believe, it's probably .org, 
uh, you can find there, but uh, they, they have committed themselves to the publication of a lot of the old Puritan writing. It is in, incredibly devotional. It will warm your soul. It will fan the flames of your heart's affections for Christ to read the Puritans. Read them discerningly, like you would anything else, but read the Puritans. I would encourage you. This is a little note here from the 17th century Puritan John Flavel. He said this. He said, how dangerous it is to join anything of our own righteousness to that of Christ in pursuit of justification before God. Jesus Christ will never endure this. He'll never allow this. It reflects upon his work dishonorably. He will be all or none in our justification, but he will not be added to by you or by me. We cannot add to our righteous standing before a holy God in the slightest. In the slightest. Not only that, but the only thing we bring to the table in our salvation is our sin. That's the only thing we have to contribute. The only thing that we have to contribute to our salvation is our fallenness, is our sinfulness. God contributes everything else that we need, and it is entirely sufficient. It's entirely sufficient. The person is justified apart from their own striving. Let me illustrate this for you. Imagine for a minute a man uh, before a judge. He's committed a crime. Could be a woman. Uh, But this man here has been given the choice of paying $100 or serving 90 days in jail. Okay? Those are the options before him. You pay a $100 fine or you can serve 90 days in jail. But this man doesn't have a penny to his name. What he does have is a wife and five hungry children at home that are depending on him and him alone. And so he, he, tells, he tells this heart-wrenching story to the courtroom. Such so that spectators and the, the jury are actually moved with pity and they begin to take up a collection to help pay this man's fine. And although it's unlike him, the judge even steps in. And contributes to this. And after everything has been said and done, after all that has been contributed, the amount that's been raised is $99.95. Friends, all we miss is a nickel. Okay? But even though we're five cents short, the judge declares that the entire $100 must be paid, and so he orders the bailiff to take the man to jail. Just get this picture in your mind here. You can imagine dejected, This man's walking out of the back of the courtroom, and so he thrust his hands deep into his pocket where he thought he had nothing, only to grasp a metallic object. He pulls his hand out of his pocket, and he finds there a nickel. The remaining five cents that is needed. And so elated, he rushes back into the courtroom, and he slaps it on the bar before the judge, declaring, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Now, let me ask you this question. In this man's mind, what has justified him? The $99.95 or his nickel? His nickel. His nickel's justified him. You see, friends, if we can bring anything to the table, if we can contribute anything to the equation, then there is ground for our boasting. There is ground for our self-trust. Paul's going to tell us here in our text in just a few moments here that there is no boasting. Boasting's been excluded. Why? Because Jesus paid it all, all to him I what? Oh. Number three here on your outline, why does God justify a person? 
We know what it is, at least concisely. We see how God justifies a person. It's a gift of his grace. It's through the blood of Christ. It's by faith or through faith. And it's apart from any of our own striving. Well, why does God do it? Look at verses 25 and 26. Paul writes, this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I have two simple points here. I'll be relatively brief on this point. Why does God justify a person? Well, let me ask what is, I think, a more fundamental question, and that is, why does God do anything he does? Why does God do anything he does? The answer to that question is, God does everything he does for his glory. Notice what Paul says in verse 25. He says, this was to show God's righteousness. The Greek word behind show there means to point out, to manifest, or to make a public declaration. Friends, brothers, and sisters, you need to know that God does everything he does, including justifying wicked sinners to set his glory on display. That's why God does what he does. God does it to show his righteousness, to demonstrate his righteousness, to put his righteousness on display that he is the justifier and he's just in doing so. And then secondly, God justifies us for our good. God does everything he does for his glory and God does everything he does for the good of those who believe. Romans chapter 8. You know that God does all things for the good of those who believe. It's for your good. It's for my good. Apart from God justifying us, we would stand condemned. What Jesus said, John chapter 5, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you. I said this before, but it bears repeating. Every time you're reading your Bible and you see those words, truly, truly, you ought to perk up. Those are attention-getting words. Jesus is saying, really, really. Stop here, stop here. Mark this, mark this. Don't miss this, don't miss this. Really, really. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, anyone who hears these words of mine and believes in him who sent me will not come into condemnation, but he has crossed over from death to life. It's for your good. It's for his glory, to set his glory on display, and it's for your good. That's why God justifies a person. There's a whole lot more that could be said there. Let me just leave you with that. Fourth, let's look at some of these glorious fruits or the glorious results of justification. What what else have I received because of my justification? You've received an immense weight of goodness from God in your justification. Let me show it to you by uh, encouraging you to turn over probably a page to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. There are a number of these here uh, I'm going to give you. I know you don't have a lot of space on your outline there, and so you might just want to shorthand a couple of these. I just want to walk you through these first 11 verses. I'm not going to exposit the text. I'm just going to say a few things about each of them, but there are a number of glorious fruits of justification here in Romans 5, 1 through 11. The first one is down right there in verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God. We have peace with God. That is a fruit of your justification. Peace with God. Where you were at once with enmity, at enmity with God. Now, because of your justification, because you've been declared in the courtroom of heaven to be innocent, not because of you, but in spite of you, because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on your behalf and on my behalf, we now have peace with God. Wow. It's a glorious fruit of your justification. The second comes in verse 2, and it's this, access to the grace of God. We have peace with God, we have access to the grace of God. Maybe you want to circle these or underline these if you're a Bible writer. Look at verse 2. Paul says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have access to the grace of God. Third, Again, in verse 2, we have joy in God. Paul goes on and he says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Friends, let me ask you this. Are you hope-filled? Are you hopeful? Hope-filled. You ought to be. As justified believers, we have great reason to rejoice in God. We have great reason to hope in God. Let me give you just a couple of things that you can rejoice in here, or glory in. This is under joy in God. You have peace with God. You have access to the grace of God. You've got joy in God. Well, joy in what? Rejoice in what? Well, rejoice in God's wisdom displayed at the cross. Just go do that today and every day thereafter. Just go rejoice in God's wisdom displayed at the cross. Rejoice in God's grace displayed at the cross. Rejoice in God's power displayed at the cross. Rejoice in God's love displayed at the cross. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as as an atoning, here's that word again, propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. You want something to rejoice in? Rejoice in the cross. Rejoice in the victorious resurrection from the dead. Rejoice in our risen, ruling, soon-returning king. Fourth, we see growth in God. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. What do we see there? We see growth in the Christian life. One of the fruits of your justification is ongoing growth in God. Growth in God. Look at verse 5. We see the next one. It's hope in God. Hope in God. And hope does not put us to shame, Paul says. Hope. Hope. The next one is the love of God. Look at uh, verses uh, 5 through 8 here. Paul says, Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Praise God. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Justification brings us into the love of God. Justification brings us into the security of God. Look at verse 9. Paul says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. There's security in him. We're no longer exposed to his wrath if we've been justified, forgiven, declared innocent, righteousness imputed, all charges dropped 
against you in the courtroom of heaven because they've been placed on Jesus. And now you have security. You're no longer exposed to the coming wrath of God. Look at verse 10. Friendship with God. Paul says, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? Once enemies, now made friends. Seated at your table as a friend. And then lastly here in verse 11, we see reconciliation with God. Paul says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also now received reconciliation. He has purchased us by his blood. By his blood. There's just a few. That's just one text, by the way. There are numerous others. That's one text that is just replete, overflowing, brimming with the fruits of justification. How glorious, glorious they are. Let's close here this morning talking about how we should respond to such a glorious truth. Look at verse 27. Turn back to uh, Romans chapter 3 there. And let's conclude by looking at verse 27. Paul says this. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. So how should we respond to such a glorious truth, such a glorious doctrine, such a glorious gift as justification? Well, first, no boasting in self. No boasting in self. The gift of justification by faith wipes away every ground for our boasting. I didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. I can't merit it. You can't merit it. It was God's doing, and God alone gets the glory. God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. This may be a familiar text to you. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. God says, let, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the strong man boast in his strength, or the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, declares the Lord, for I am the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. You want to boast in something? Boast in God. Boast in Christ. Boast in the cross. Don't boast in yourself. Don't boast in your ability. Don't boast in your achievement. Don't boast in your status. Don't boast in your doing. Don't boast in your striving. Boast in what has been done for you at the cross. Paul says, Galatians 6.14, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So no boasting in self. Boast, glory in the cross. And then secondly, we respond in humble gratitude and adoration for Christ. That's just the, the reciprocating truth there. We don't boast in ourself, but we have humble gratitude and adoration for Christ, for his work on our behalf, that he is both just and the justifier of those who trust him by faith.